0: Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show I do, where I talk about the stuff I've seen since the last time I did one of these. Uh, it's just me, David, um, and uh, it's been a couple of weeks, but I've seen a bunch of movies. More uh, more than a movie a day, which is uh, always... My goal is a movie a day. I rarely, I rarely uh, uh, achieve it, but this time of year, I have time off work for the holidays and i spend a lot of it watching movies so let's just dive right in we are going to start unfortunately with scott cooper's the pale blue eye uh it's uh, just scott cooper i don't know we, we gotta stop we gotta stop letting this happen we gotta stop letting this guy make movies <laughs> this is such a mean way to start off the episode but i just he's so completely humorless and tedious and self serious and The Pale Blue Eye is a movie in which uh a young Edgar Allan Poe, played by Harry Melling, gets uh enlisted as an assistant in investigating possibly occult murders at West Point. The uh the detective is played by Christian Bale. Um it seems like you know a Murder, occult murder mystery young Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe like it seems like the movie should have a sense of of fun to it but Scott Cooper treats it like it's the most serious historical lesson it's, it's just completely and the thing is here and this is less about Scott Cooper and more about the screenplay there was a while when I was like okay this is not as fun as it could be but it's not as uh, uh, dreadfully like concerned, like convinced of its own weight as something like Hostels was, uh, or even antlers. Uh, but then it has this like fourth act at the end. that's just like, Oh brother, we almost got out alive. But then there's the last like 10, 15 minutes of the movie that are just <laughs> embarrassingly just, what's the word i'm looking for just uh, waterlogged um and then oh man we're really starting off with some bad movies here because the next up is uh belgium's uh oscar submission uh lucas daunt's uh close if you remember lucas daunt made the movie uh girl which was um I think rightfully the uh a, a there was a, a subject of some controversy back in 2018 because of the casting of a cis boy to play a trans girl um but and not a not, but that's like i said that was a rightful controversy in addition to that that movie girl just sucked <laughs> um and yeah close isn't much better uh it's about two boys who are friends and who they start a new grade level they start to grow apart as one of the boys sort of becomes more concerned with being like a popular kid uh and these scenes at the beginning i think are are well done i think lucas don actually does have some quite a bit of uh tenderness and, and facility with these everyday moments and the illustration of closeness uh <laughs> yeah the movie's called close the illustration of like you know non-sexual intimacy among uh good friends and and stuff like that uh the 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 beginning of the movie uh, I, I was I was touched by a lot of it but then it takes a huge step in to the most sort of it, it, it goes in the most eye rolling, like juvenile fiction direction you can imagine, you know, it's the stuff of a bad Netflix series or, or or something. Uh, and I, it just like, from then on the movie was taking itself so so seriously and I was like come on um so I I didn't like close finally I get to go to a movie that I did like quite a bit um and that's uh finally got a chance to see Jersey Skolomowski's EO um movie about a donkey which uh uh I was, I intended to see it AFI Fest this year and, and, real life got in the way very much, uh, with, with AFI Fest, but, um, I, um, finally was able to see it and really, really loved it. Uh, it's just a, if you don't know, it's very much influenced by Ohesad Balthazar, um, where, uh, it, follows a donkey who sort of gets passed from owner to owner and situation to situation. Um, and, uh, uh, it's often abused or forgotten, um, Except, but it starts off when we, when we first meet EO uh, and that's his name he works works like he has a choice like he's employed um, he is forced to perform in the circus but the woman he who performs with him uh, loves him and, and dotes on him but the circus owner um, doesn't and then eventually the circus I'm already forgetting due to financial or tax reasons or whatever has to I can't remember if the whole circus folds or whatever, but EO moves on, um, and it is is used as a sort of a cart horse or cart donkey, uh, I guess. And I'm not going to recount all the things that he, he, he goes through, but um, we get these hu- little human dramas that played out between characters, between the, you know, the circus performer and the circus owner, and... Um, later when the the donkey ends up at a house where a uh, a, a wealthy one lives um and her son has just returned after um essentially flunking out of the seminary uh uh, or being kicked out of priest school for gambling or whatever. And we so we see these dramas play out. And it's not exactly like we're seeing them through the eyes of EO, because EO like, doesn't speak English, and we do. Or, I mean, movies not in English, but we are afforded subtitles, those of us who speak, speak English. Um, so we're seeing these human dramas play out, I'll say for the third time. But because everything's so transitory and because EO is unchanging in so many ways or or um, at least um, doesn't seem phased by that much uh, these episodes become disconnected and alien, and we're able to see how where we watch them in such a way, it's to see how human, uh, the 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 squabbles and the and the uh, storm and drong of uh, human relationships are all just fleeting, um, and I guess there's a way to look at it in which. The movie is depicting humanity as frivolous and silly. Um but I also think there's a way to look at it in a more optimistic way, where it's saying, like, hey, in the long run, this doesn't matter that much. You know, the world's gonna be okay. We'll survive losing our donkey or getting kicked out of preschool or or whatever. Uh, not preschool, priest school, which I'm now remembering was a joke on Crazy Ex Girlfriend. The confusion between preschool and priest school, um, which is probably why they don't call it priest school. Um, that's the main reason, actually. Uh, all right. Um, so highly recommended. Next up is Laura Poitras's All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, which is a documentary about. Uh, photographer Nan Golden but also specifically about her activism against Purdue Pharma and the Sackler family um, as an artist she's going after the you know this is the the people who were responsible for OxyContin um, and um, the Sackler family who owns Purdue Pharma or I guess did um donates a lot of money to art museums and universities and has their name all over these wings of museums and universities and stuff like that they're very big names in the art world and so Nan golden being a big name in the art world uh decides to protest against them through that uh way like trying to get museums to stop taking their donations take their names off the off of the um museums and stuff uh, off the walls Um, so Laura Poitras goes back and forth between documenting this but then also getting Nan Golden's life story Um, it's I think I'm not trying to be contrarian because I think it's a very good movie but I've seen so many reactions about it being so emotionally devastating that I feel like I'm some sort of a cold fish that I didn't feel that way Um, I think maybe like of all things because I had watched uh, Dope Sick the Hulu miniseries not that it's this like Dope Sick's not better than this but I guess because I knew all of the points about the Sacklers and how evil they were already that stuff wasn't shocking to me and then we get to nan golden's life and we get a lot of her photographs so many nan golden photographs that it became that thing that i've often complained about with documentaries about musicians where at a certain point i start to go like this is just making me want to i'd rather be listening to the band's music so i feel like all the Beauty and the Bloodshed is making me more likely to, like, seek out a book of Nan Golden photographs or something like that. Um, but anyway, I mean, like, I'm, I'm sitting here being negative because I'm doing the thing of reacting to the reaction to the movie as opposed to the movie itself. And it happens a lot this time of year when I'm watching a lot of movies that are getting very highly praised because I'm trying to like catch up and see everything I like um, hear is great by the end of the year. So I'm, I'm try- I, I try not to do that, but that's kind of what I'm doing here. Is I'm reacting to the reaction. I very much liked the movie, um, uh, but I, I just didn't have that that emotional connection to it that so many people seem to be having. Um next up is Maria Schrader's She Said, which is um a recounting of the New York Times investigation into uh Harvey Weinstein's um sexual harassment and assault and other other behavior. Um uh, it's a movie that's got it's it's got a stacked cast. Um you know, you've got uh Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan play the two um, main reporters, but also their bosses are Patricia Clarkson and Andre Brower. Um, some of the short, Samantha Morton shows up. Some characters I really like really like Peter Friedman and Zach Grenier show up. Um, so it definitely has this classiness to it, but I uh, can't really escape that it's kind of a, a dry procedural. Not that I want it to be like Flowery, um, but uh, there's a lot of like, I guess, telling rather than showing, uh, in in she said. Same night, I uh, I watched Steven Soderbergh's Kimmy from earlier in the year, um, which is uh, um, like so many of his, so much of his work. It's a on the surface a very much a, a genre exercise this is the a sort of um modern day version of the corporate conspiracy type thriller where um zoe um uh, uh, Kravitz. I know I kept, I kept running to say Kazan because I was just talking about her but Zoe Kravitz uh, plays a woman who works for a an Amazon like company um, and she hears something on an Alexa type recording. It's called a Kimmy um, not an Alexa but an, on that kind of recording that maybe she wasn't supposed to hear and uh, the company's trying to shut her up and she's trying to get to the bottom of it But this is also, like I already mentioned, it's about a movie that's very much about uh, uh, the privacy we've given up for the convenience of having these um, tech uh, devices and connectivity and apps in our homes and on our phones and stuff like that. Uh, But I should also mention that Zoe Kravitz's character, whose name is Angela, I think, um, works from home Um, not just because she can, but also because she's an agoraphobic. Um, so it's a very clearly a post COVID movie. People wear masks when they go out into the world. Uh, or I guess I I say post, post the beginning of COVID we're still in COVID, but, um, you know, a post March, 2020 movie. Um, so, uh, uh, it's it's got on the one hand it's a fun thriller on the other hand it's a uh movie that's uh very fascinated with the way we live now in so many ways um yeah so it's it's uh it's very enjoyable uh, i liked kimmy a lot uh now let's move on to Steven Steven Soderbergh. I said Steven Soderbergh. From Steven Soderbergh to Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans. Oh, I am in love with this movie. Um, I actually saw it twice. I'll only talk about it once. But uh, it's a a, a movie that's... um, Here's the thing that people keep saying. That it's a love letter to cinema. But I don't think that's correct this isn't about the power that cinema can have over everyone this is a coming-of-age story autobiographical coming-of-age story made by someone coming to to the realization that they are preternaturally talented so talented at so specific a thing that people don't understand and they maybe don't even fully understand their own power which is kind of like you could say this is an egotistical type of thing for steven spielberg to make except it's steven spielberg and he is that talented um and he's got the um the cv to prove it um curricula vitae that's what cv stands for (laughs) um uh so i found that incredibly personal not in this way of not this cinema parody, so Empire of Light, like, look at the power of movies type of thing. This is about being... This is this is about someone... Uh, uh, this isn't about all of us. This, the, the, that's not what this is, is all I'm saying. This is a very specific movie, but it's uh, transportive. It's, you, you know, there's great... A great autobiography or great memoir or any kind of great writing can suggest not even suggest, but can can get across so much just by putting the sentences, putting the words together in the right order and picking the right words. And it's it's really amazing what Steven so, almost said it again, Steven Spielberg is able to do here in it is. It is truly when someone's very good at an art form, it is a very difficult thing to explain, and the Favelmans does such a good job by being such a beautifully crafted film, of illustrating how talented Sammy Favelman is. Because there's that thing Tyler and I talk about, where like if you're gonna have of fictional work of art within a movie that's supposed to be great it's always like tough to like make a song that's actually good as the song is supposed to be in the movie or make a painting or whatever steven spielberg doesn't have that problem because he's steven spielberg so when we watch young Sam- Sammy Feldman's films uh we get their power in a way like The Fablemans might, it might not be a love letter to cinema, but you know, but this is high praise, but if like someone who didn't know what the word cinema meant, wanted to know, I feel like you could learn a lot about it by watching The Fablemans. Um, It's also, it's idiosyncratic, it's hilarious, it's uplifting uh, transporting um, heartbreaking at at times weird at at times uh, I, I truly cannot put into words because or, or or you know get across because i'm not as ta- talented as Sammy fableman or Steven Spielberg just how powerful and beautiful and perfect and lovely the Fableman's is uh, absolutely one of the best pictures of the year um, can't be denied if you ask me okay uh, next up um, watched a movie that is you know getting a lot of, of, of praise um, and that's Martin McDonagh's The Banshees of Inisherin*. and now this isn't as this this movie is less obnoxious and more funny than Three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Uh, but I still, th- I still can't escape how pleased Martin McDonough is with himself um, as as a writer, and the in this there's a sort of self conscious cleverness to the cadence um, and the uh, jokes here in in the screenplay. You've got it's a great cast, and truly, I, I mean, if if anyway I, uh to get into like awards type stuff um i know brendan Fraser has been the industry favorite but um as the critics groups have weighed in increasingly um it looks like colin farrell is going to be quite a contender for the best actor crown um come oscar time and if if that happened if if colin farrell beat out brendan Fraser, i'd be perfectly happy with this. I, the Banshees of Inner Sheeran is kind of a, um, honestly, the whole thing is kind of dumb, but, uh, Colin Farrell's so great in it. Um, and I, I'm not necessarily opposed to the dumbness of Banshees of Inner Sheeran. The premise is that Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson are drinking buddies in this, like, um, sleepy Irish island village. um, in the 20s and uh one day Bren- brennan gleason's character just decides he doesn't want to be friends with colin farrell anymore we eventually get some explanation as as to why but the the strength of his resolve and the lengths that he'll go to um is kind of silly and i don't think that it's i don't think that martin mcdonough would object to me calling it silly if i'm if i'm reading the movie right. Uh, the silliness is not really um my problem and I don't really I, I, again this is a movie that I if I were you know doing the Siskel and Nebert thing I would give this movie a thumbs up over a thumbs down but um uh I I still feel like there are certain Martin McDonough things that that rub me the wrong way I've, I've I've never seen In Bruges which is the movie that everyone points to I've seen seven psychopaths and three billboards outside of missouri and this one and didn't love any i mean this is the first one of those three that i actually liked i, I very much disliked the previous two this one i enjoyed myself but all, also at quite a quite a distance and with more than the occasional eye roll um barry keegan by the way is also fantastic in the movie and has um a couple of the movies he's both the saddest character in the movie and um produces the biggest laughs in in the movie because his his character is like a local uh dumbass kid uh or or young man who's um not so secretly pining after colin farrell's colin farrell's sister played by carrie condon um and every time he tries to like I guess make a move, but he's so like unaware. He they're the clunkiest moves you ever seen. Every time he tries to make a move on Carrie Condon, it's um, very funny. Uh, so there's a lot of you know it's the worst ways to pass a couple hours, um, but it's all also um, has some of that some of the same irritations I've had with Martin McDonough's work in the past. Okay. Uh, next up is Henry Selick's *Wendell and Wild*, uh, which I really enjoyed because um, it's it's uh, another um, stop motion type uh, animated movie um, in um, in in which uh, that 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 delves very much into the macabre, as as Henry Selick is known for. You know, things like... Um... Nightmare Before Christmas and James and the Giant Peach... And of course... The wonderful Coraline... Um... Uh... His... His stuff tends to be... Dark in a way that goes beyond... Just... not, Not like... It's more extreme dark... But it's not just like... This is about spooky stuff... Like... There's an actual... Uh... Willingness to sort of uh, uh, tangle with um, concepts of 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 death and torment and hell and in guilt and and all of these things because guilt because the main character is a a teenage girl who um, um, whose parents died in a car accident when she was in the back seat and to this day she blames herself for. Her, behavior of the back seat that distracted them and um and and then she becomes the target of a couple of demons uh, voiced by key and peel um and then i also want to mention the the music which is all i think if i did my count correctly i think entirely every song in the movie is played by is 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 a song by a rock band that has uh one or more black members of the groups so you got x-ray specs and the specials and tv on the radio and bad brains um i feel like i'm missing a huge one in there somewhere that i can't have uh, some fishbone is in there it's um a really great soundtrack um and really used used well um all right happy uh, price price next up is let me see the director's name Martin Sims the African desperate uh, here's another this is another fantastic movie it's one of those sort of like all in a 24-hour period type of, of, of movies maybe a little over 24 hours by the time we get to the very end but I you know there's not not an actual counter um, and it takes place the day that um, a black a young black woman named Palace is graduating um, I don't know if graduating is the right word but she earns her Masters of Fine Arts um, and it's she's in college in this small upstate New York town and um, she like I said, did I say she's from Chicago? I can't remember if I said she's from Chicago but she's from Chicago and her deal is like even though she clearly has friends in this town um she's sick of most of the people uh that she went to school with and 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 hung out with or or in some cases didn't hang out with and those people are you know miffed at her or whatever and so her plan is um first thing the next the morning she gets her masters Then the next morning she's headed back to chicago uh and because it's the day that everyone's getting their masters there's a big party happening that night she keeps insisting she's not going to the party eventually she ends up at the party and has this sort of uh wild night um in which we learn a lot about her and what she values in a friend um what she finds annoying and how a um a black woman in a very much predominantly white space can have those things in the same people even even some of the people who are her her friends um are still uh capable of putting the foot in the mouth or, or microaggressions or, or, or things like that. So the movie is, um, intentionally like confrontational toward an audience like me, a white guy who likes, uh, uh, artsy stuff, highbrow movies and stuff like that. Um, and I, and I, and I love that, but, um, it's also a character piece, um, Anchored by a really fantastic performance by an actress named Diamond Stingily. Whoa, what a name, Diamond Stingily. Um, that's great. Uh, and so it's a it's a it's she, the movie really asks a lot of her. She goes through uh, a lot, and but Martine Sims also um, adorns and embellishes the movie with all kinds of great. Um, uh, tricks. There's a lot of picture-in-picture. Picture. There's uh, um, colors that maybe don't actually exist in the world we're watching that seem to uh, come and go out of the, the frame. There's other a lot of other little touches like that, and the movie is just it's one of those great, just like all in 24 hours, like. Um, uh, days and confused type like party hangout movies but it's also um, a uh, uh, a singular character piece at the same time so yeah again like like the Fieldman's probably one of the best movies of 2022 the African Desperate okay alright next up another dark stop motion uh, animated movie Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio and um the this movie is definitely um a sort of dark interpretation although let's not like forget that Disney's Pinocchio is um darker than a lot of kids films these these days um but uh it's what's really um What's really striking about the movie is just the beauty of the animation um it's uh, each figure the way they're like you know Geppetto carves things out of wood, and each person in the movie. The details in their faces and beards feel like they're they've been so lovingly like etched into these into these figures in the same way and yet they're so expressive and they move so gracefully and and beautifully and 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 gently um it's really just it's so gorgeous um a, a movie um definitely can't recommend highly enough and it's definitely you know this time of year i I'm so focused on like trying to see all the stuff I haven't seen that. I rarely have time to rewatch things. Um, I did like I mentioned, I did watch the family's twice. Um, I will probably try and find time to cram in another viewing of game of the Taurus Pinocchio, just because there's so much detail to it. I I can't, I feel like every viewing could feel brand new in some ways. Um, loved it so uh next up um nanny um which is clearly presented as a horror movie and has heavy horror elements um to it but it's also not like super scary um there are some scary images and some and some tense scenes um, but really this is another psychological drama of a um, Senegalese woman working in New York City as a nanny to a wealthy um, family who have who have one daughter and um, she's doing so in order to save up enough money to bring her son and her sister from Senegal to New York at, uh, you know by the, the movie, I think, takes place. It seems a time to jump a week or two at a time, so it probably takes place over a number of months, six months maybe. Um, but by you know by the uh, by the time by the end of the movie, it's been like a year since she's seen her son, um, other than like FaceTime and stuff like that. That occasionally like glitches and um, and uh, the so I think this is one of those movies like a lot of horror movies where the horror supernatural element is used to sort of illustrate um to literalize uh what's what's going on so there are there's odd occurrences and maybe nightmares and visions or maybe they're real or whatever that um seem to imply that something is reaching reaching uh aisha it's her name um perhaps it's her son or perhaps it's something pretending to be her son but her longing for her son and the mental stress of that is uh um manifesting itself in in ways that could potentially lead to the girl that she's an 84 rose coming to harm not necessarily you know because of something i should did intentionally but maybe it could be who, who knows um so yeah it's uh it's 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 very good it's a very good lead performance by anna diop um uh, and then also michelle monaghan whom i've always been a fan of uh plays the the wealthy mom um and uh uh yeah it's it's another you know it's uh a very different movie than um uh beautiful island but similarly it's a movie about the sort of like immigrant working class like in the that uses horror to uh, illustrate the 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 fraught uh, precarious nature of their lives in in the US and um, in, in how they can uh, lose things including maybe their mind at any given moment um, because of their um, the place they occupy in, in the world, it's not a very uh, forgiving one okay um, next up is I guess this was the first, uh... Claire Denis movie to come out in the U.S. this year. Um, the second being Stars at Noon. I think that's the order it came out. But, um... I saw both sides of the blade. Um... Uh... Which is, um... Let's see... Um... Let's see. So, uh, it's a love triangle movie. Julia Binoche and Vincent Lindon play um, characters who have been living together and and romantically partnered for a very long time, and then her um, ex, who's also an old friend of his, comes back to Paris. Um, That's how they met, was was through him. Um, So, it's not a coincidence. Um, And... Uh, the movie. He seems to. Be, uh, Vincent Ledon's character, whose um, name is Jean, uh, reconnects with Francois first, and at first it seems like Sarah, played by Julie Binoche, is maybe untrusting of why this friendship would be rekindled but we sort of start to realize maybe that's a projection because um she not maybe she eventually says that she does she still um loves francois in a lot of ways and she loves jean too um and so um uh yeah it goes from being it starts being the story of a woman who thinks she's being or we might think is being gaslit or something um but is actually tearing herself uh, uh, apart um, and potentially ruining two relationships. Who who knows? Um, but um, it, I mean, it has uh, Tindersticks did music just like they did for Stars at Noon, and the the score is great. Uh, and it has some of that, just that Claire Denis magic of like having everything I just described sounds like the plot of a movie. And the movie does have this plot, but Claire Denis is much more instinctive filmmaker and is more interested, um, and makes us, um, assuming we're a willing audience. And I very much am with her films, us more interested in, in small moments. Um, you know the uh, um, there's a there's a whole thing about Jean and Francois working together in an agency and the agency having a grand opening like party and um, I mean, this is a huge turning point in the movie because this is where we go from thinking like is Francois keeping or is Jean keeping something from her about his friendship with Francois to realizing it's about her is when she goes to the party and um the the devastating beauty in julia pinoche's performance as she's like sort of uh reduced to this um (laughs) neurotic um uh, a teenager, you, you know, uh, um, unsure, uh, you know, this is Julie Pinoche tends to play women who are very sure of themselves because Julie Pinoche always seems to be a very confident person. And, and, uh, the, the, the way that she, um, reacts to not knowing what to do with herself when both the men she love are in the same room, uh, together, men she loves are in the same room together. Um, and Claire Denis spends so much time with that because I think she, like us, is just in awe of Julia Benoche and, and Claire Denis is a, a filmmaker who is not going to let her, you know, assuming she even has storyboards for the day, she's not going to let her storyboards um, uh, get her to ignore something astounding and beautiful and profound that's happening in the moment. Uh, and, and and that's true of so many of her films it's definitely true of both of her films this year they're they're so um, instinctive and, and they seem to follow their own uh, internal muse compass and logic at any given time as opposed to um, following a scheme or, or things being dictator overly directed you know um, I feel like the greatest directors don't um are, are more or at least maybe my favorite directors tend to be more reactive than proactive um and, and I think that ability of Claire Denis to um not command beauty but to recognize and capture it is what makes her one of the best going uh right now so that's both sides of the blade uh Next up, we're in the home stretch. I think, um, yeah, last four or so movies. Uh, next up is Todd Field's Tar, and uh, yeah, I, uh, I I was a sucker for this movie. In the opening scene, I was like, wait, is it, I couldn't. I was like, is Kate Blanchett bad? Is she chewing the scenery? Or like, oh no, this is the self, like, self conscious bravado of this showy uh woman Lydia Tar, that's that's coming through um so it's actually I think a fantastic performance uh and Tarr is one of those movies I, I I love this kind of movie um but uh one of those movies that is full of people talking people talk 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 the entire movie but they're not telling you how you're supposed to feel or telling like they're not literalizing they're putting their emotions into words you're supposed to find the actual uh uh, the actual meaning the actual thing that's going on it reminds me it's very different stylistically but in that way it reminds me like a Witt stillman film uh also about very well educated uh generally about educated people who are uh at least in, involved or or aware of the art world and the uh culture world um uh so I, yeah it reminded me of wood stillman in, in that way but it's a different kind of it's a it's a more of a um a big screen cinematic type of visual language um uh going on with with tar there's a a lot of you know like Following shots as Lydia enters um, a new room or apartment or a hallway. There's these big, broad, wide shots of orchestras, and uh, it feels very big, cinema. Not that Whit Stillman's movies feel like TV or anything. They're still they're also very, um, very cinematic. But uh, um, I really enjoyed. I, I was really like I, I really hung on every word of this screenplay, even when they're getting into. You know, I'm look i'm a uh i'm I'm as artsy fartsy as the next guy but i'm not a scholar or an intellectual you know or an academic so even when the uh movie gets the dialogue gets into territory that's out of my depth i was still fascinated by by all of it um i i really loved it it seems to be uh, to go back to the awards thing seems to be a a hit with the critics groups i wonder though if when it comes to industry awards if the movie despite its obvious um achievements and technique and and uh in acting if the movie doesn't have enough obvious catharsis or um to use one of my favorite Jonathan Rosenbaum terms, lightweight uplift to, uh, to, to, to wow the, the Academy. Um, and yeah, I say that on purpose, pers- uh, on purpose, because that leads me directly into my new film, uh, Darren Aronofsky's The Whale, which, uh, <laughs> pardon the obvious, but it's just too perfect and too true. But this movie blows. Oh my God. I, but I bring up, th- there are people who are so moved by this pile of horse shit, um, even though it's exactly the thing I'm talking about. It's a movie full of people just telling you what they feel. Tell, tell, tell. Talk, talk, talk. Big speech, big speech, you know, punctuated by sudden camera angle shifts that make me roll my eyes. Uh, um, ov- you know, obvious... Foreshadowing, character development, and just it—I hated it so much. But it's getting a, a lot of a, a lot of people, you know, love it. I, I, the movie I, I saw it uh, like I saw an award screen, I saw it in the screening room, and it—I hated it. Couldn't wait for the movie to be over. But as soon as the credits started rolling, someone like two seats down from me said to her friend, like. Well, that's got to be the best film of 2022. Um, <laughs> and So I I don't that like flabbergasted me even more than the movie because not since the Danish Girl have I seen people react so strongly to a movie that I thought was such horseshit. To use that term again, like I was trying to imagine. You know, this is judgy, but like I was trying to imagine, get myself into a place. Where I would feel that way about The Whale. Like, and I started to think of myself as, like, younger. I started to think, you know, another movie, not to this degree, but American Beauty was a movie I was very moved by. And then a year into film school, after, after actually here, you know, seeing, maybe two years into film school, after seeing more movies, I rewatched American Beauty and was like, oh, this movie's full of baloney. Um, so I started trying to imagine, like, imagine myself liking The Whale and I immediately went to me as a very young person 15 or 16 and I was trying to think how few movies would I have had to have seen in my life to think The Whale is a good one Uh, because it's almost parody how uh, how uh, uh, self-consciously tortured its its protagonist is and oh it's about you know guilt and 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 grief and um and and then of course catharsis and lightweight uplift as well um lightweight here not intending to be a pun um I, i don't i mean like it's Brendan Fraser is probably going to win the Oscar from what I am understanding. And I won't have a problem with that because I like him and good for him. Um, But it's almost hard to judge whether or not he's good in a movie whose screenplay is this bad. I guess he does... He's good at doing what the screenplay and Aronofsky want. But what they want uh, is so sophomoric i i I don't know if that's the right word here um but uh the movie is also, also to address the other controversies about the movie it absolutely feels like it's a you know fat phobic movie to me it um it feels like it uh is so insistent upon the idea that um charlie that's the character's name that that charlie's form is grotesque um that it lingers upon things as if to say like isn't this horrifying isn't this disgusting people can't even keep a straight face when they look at, at 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 this man um and then it revels in the shots of him disgustingly loudly eating junk food and uh yeah the whole thing is is just, uh... laughable. Stupid. Uh, I really hated it. So let's move on to a movie I really, really liked, and that's Noah Baumbach's White Noise, um, which I was... um, it's a Netflix movie that I was lucky enough to get to see it in a theater, which is always a preferable way to see any movie, um, and this one's no exception. Uh, it... reminded me in many ways... Of david r russell's i heard huckabees in that it's a very heightened often very goofy nearly science fiction um romp with a bunch of different characters and it goes a bunch of different directions um and it's hilarious and people don't talk like real people but it's also a movie that's uh preoccupied with unpeeling the way that we think about the world i mean i think i haven't seen our heart huckabees in a long time but that one feels more about like knowing yourself and knowing others um if i remember this one white noise which is the story of a family in the uh, um mid-1980s um who go through a series of uh tribulations there's a airborne toxic event in their town and they're evacuated and and um there's also a whole thing with the um matriarch of the family put by Greta Gerwig um taking some mysterious uh um prescription medication that's having an odd, uh, effect on her um uh it's, the, the movie is in many ways very episodic but definitely has a through story as well uh uh, and Adam Driver plays the the uh patriarch, I guess, of the family. Um is like he teaches at a prestigious college where he is the professor of like I can't remember if they say Hitler studies or Nazi studies, um, but people come like from all over to hear him lecture, uh, because he has this very performative lecture style. Um uh, and the movie so it's very heightened and, and silly and, and otherworldly but it's also in in a way that I, I heard Huckabees I heart Huckabees is about the things that I was saying it was before this is a movie about the relationship between and the distance between what we know and what we believe and also the overlap but also there are things we think we know and there are things we know but don't believe that seems to be the um the big thrust of the movie is um the idea of death we all know we are going to die but we don't oftentimes we don't really let ourselves believe it um and that's obviously some pretty heavy stuff but it also leads to some of the funniest stuff there's a scene where Don Cheadle plays uh, another professor at the college and and a friend of Adam Driver's and he um, informs Adam Driver that one of their colleagues has passed away over the the semester break Um, and Adam Driver has a hard time believing it simply because the man himself was larger than life he was a huge guy and uh, Adam Driver just can't he's like dead a big guy like that (laughs) (laughs) It just made me laugh harder than almost anything in the movie. Um, but, uh, it's full of great performances. Um, ridiculously flowery language, but not in that Banshees of an um, self-conscious, like showy way. It's just like, I legitimately believe Noah Baumbach's having a blast writing this and the, and the actors are all having a blast saying these, these ridiculous things. um, uh and also it's you know um uh Noah Baumbach's now made a few movies for for Netflix and this one really shows off the the budget there's um some big you know visual effects sequences with the the airborne toxic event I mentioned earlier um but also there's huge crowd scenes um with the with the evacuation of of the town that are like staged on a massive level of like the family trying to almost like steven spielberg's war of the worlds of like the family trying to get to their station wagon to get away from this toxic event while mayhem is going on around them and people running every direction and people are getting hit by cars and diving into one another's like makeshift tents and stuff like that. And it's like massive madness. Um, and uh, it's interesting to think that to, to, to reflect that, that Noah Baumbach, who's someone who is better known for um, personal uh, inter- interpersonal talking movies um, uh, uh, is also so good at at something at this level. Uh, really, really loved it. Really, a uh, movie. It's not. I'm not saying it's you know as good as the Fableman's, but uh, they're both movies that I had a smile on my face pretty much the entire time watching both movies. Uh, my uh, final movie um, for this movie journal is. Um, uh, let's see, Juan. Pablo Gonzalez Dos Estaciones, um, which is uh, a um, movie that is, you know, a I guess about, uh, this is another one of those movies that's like, yeah, it has a plot, you know, it played Outfest, which um, uh, uh, gives you an idea. It's about a, a middle-aged woman who um, owns a, Tequila distillery, um, factory, I guess. I don't know what the word is. Um, who hires a new administrative assistant who's a younger woman, and it becomes clear that, that, um, Maria, um, has feelings for each, this younger woman and is like, um, Uh, has, I guess, a crush on on her. But that's the story. But the movie also has this uh, beautiful stillness and patience to it. You you know, you've got a movie that um, is about people who make tequila. And so you get to see a lot of the tequila-making process, especially the harvesting of the agave, um, also the keeping uh plant diseases away from the agave you know uh spraying pesticides and 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 stuff like that but the harvesting and and then the processing of it and these 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 shots they either stay still and just watch someone hacking away at the agave plant and then tossing it into uh, a basket that's on the back of a donkey uh, or you've got these moving shots that follow the agave is being sort of mashed up in the machine on the factory floor, and there's just this this patience and in in beauty um, to to the movie that uh, if you know me is like very much up my alley. So this is very much my my kind of of thing. Um, uh, and uh, it, uh, speaking of my kind of thing, it's also a movie that is about now it's about something that's happening now they they talk about how you know mexican tequila and mezcal makers are struggling right now because like small batch craft tequila is such a big thing that these big companies are delving into it and who are from outside of mexico and now they're buying up the agave plants and now um people who families and 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 stuff who have been making these drinks for decades or or longer are now struggling because the price of agave is is going up so the movie like touches on all of that without it being um you know didactic or or uh or preach you, or feeling like a Wikipedia article or anything like that uh, at the same time. And so um, uh, Dos Estacionis is a classically beautiful movie um, that also serves as a reminder that movies themselves are not just um, an art form, and they're not an outdated art form of the past. They can be just as much about now as anything else